today's times, when even though we may be working from home, we find ourselves busier than ever. When can we fit in time for the gym? Is it open? What are the protocols? It's just so confusing. The easiest solution is to work out from home, but the cost of equipment can be so high. And how do you stay motivated? How would you like to have live, at-home, real-time interactive coaching from international award-winning coaches? You can have all of that in one app, the Knock Academy. The app is customizable for your schedule. Grab a workout in the morning before you start your day. How about a Pilates session at lunch? Strength training when you're finished your workday or start your weekends with core training or a rejuvenating yoga session after a busy week. Knock Academy is live. Your instructors can offer real-time feedback, motivation, and instruction, all from the privacy of your own home. Check out the Knock Academy. That's N-O-C-K Academy. Listeners of Start Talking get 20% off your first month. Just use the discount code WEAS when you sign up. The Knock Academy. It started on a better you today. to today's episode of We As. My name is Scott. I'm your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you can do us a favor and check out our Patreon uh, account at uh, www.patreon.com forward slash start talking. Any little bit of help, cost of a cup of coffee, really, really makes a difference with the show. It helps us keep the, the lights on, as they say. If you're not uh, willing to make that commitment, that's perfectly all right. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash start talking. Our newly revamped website is, uh, at the time of this recording, it should be uh, up and running. And that's www.weas.ca. You can meet the hosts, send us an email at starttalking at weas.ca. Tell us what you think about the show. A little bit of feedback. You want to be a guest on the show? Tell us your story and we'll have you on. Uh, we'd love to hear from you at starttalkingatweas.ca. We're always having great conversations, and today is no different. My guest today is Iggy Perillo, and we were just talking off air about what Iggy's title should be, and I believe we're calling her a leadership educator, although she is the founder and CEO of a company called WSLleadership.com. And through Iggy's experience through work and education. Iggy teaches people how to become better leaders. I am extremely interested. Perhaps I can be your guinea pig today. But Iggy Perillo, welcome to the show. Thank you for being on We Ask. Thanks so much for having me here today, Scott. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Oh, and I forgot to mention that you're also uh, the host of your own podcast. And we'll go through all that information afterwards and talk a little bit about your podcast as well. But I want to get started with how does somebody get into the business that you're in to teach leaders how to be better leaders? And WSL was interesting because it's work, sport, and life because you deal with people at their work or with their sport. You like dealing with professional athletes in your line of business and then also overall life. But where, let's get a little bit of history. Where did you start and what got you into this business? 
I think there's this part of my history that is just being a human growing up. And there was a moment that I was thinking I should go get an MBA. Like I need to learn more about business. I need to know this more. And then the next week, I think I was like, wait a minute. I just need to do what I already know how to do. I don't need, I love school. I love learning, but I don't need another degree to do this work. So I come at this work from working in the outdoors with individuals. I have been an outward bound instructor for over 20 years. So bringing literal strangers often together. And for me, my course area is mainly the Northern lakes in Northern Minnesota. So getting a bunch of people together, throwing them in some canoes and paddling for a few weeks. And over that time, they learn that they really need to communicate better. They really need to work together better. They really need to take on leadership within that group to get it that crew of people from point A to where we need to get out the end of the lakes, the other, you know, down the road. So it became a very practical, tangible uh, leadership development crucible in so many ways and challenge and adventure were definitely part of that. And that, I think I got into that from just family car camping vacations as a kid. (laughs) There we are cruising around, going to the state park, going to the national park, hopping in the car every break from school and driving somewhere and, you know, popping out the tent and sleeping on the ground. But that brought me, yeah, so I'm glad I'm taking this anachronistically, but here I am now hanging out with people and helping them work together better in ways that are, I would, I try to focus on what's tangible, what's relevant right now and immediate for them. There's theory, there's a lot of background that goes into doing, being a good leader, being able to do these things well and being effective. And I think that marrying that with the practice of really tangible skill training. How are you going to deal with that conflict? How do you communicate? What are your defaults around leadership style and communication and thought process? So I try to make that relevant and meaningful for folks through one-on-one work, but also seminars and trainings. And I focus a lot on masterminds as a method, a non-hierarchical method for people to develop their leadership. One of the things that jumped out at me is, and we spoke about this um, when we met a couple of weeks ago, my brother actually went to an outward bound school in, in Quebec, in Canada. And one of the things, now you worked at the school, uh, you were actually the president of the school, if I'm not mistaken, or you were the, the, the head of something. Uh, I took on a, over time, a leadership role within the organization, uh, helping other folks lead the expedition. So I was in the field doing expeditions for a decade and a half, and then also supporting folks doing those expeditions. So like a middle manager, sort okay. of, I guess. Right. Okay. So you were, you were in charge, you were kind of in charge of the expeditions themselves because in an outward bound school, there's the education component and it's usually smaller classrooms. I'm using my brother's school as an example, but it's usually smaller classrooms. And they, for my brother, he had to go out into the woods and basically sleep in a, a lean to in a, you know, a, a sleeping bag uh, for, for Friday night, Saturday night, and then into Sunday. And then it was back to school on Monday, which was, a walking distance, but he came back a completely different person and he came back a leader. Now he may not have been grooming himself to be president of a company, but in his own life, he, he became a leader in his own life. He's actually now, he's an actor who lives in New York city, but he, he the confidence that it instilled and the what that school allowed him to do was realize how actually intelligent he really was because the previous school system he had been to basically told my parents that he was, 
um, a bad student who had no ability to learn. And when he went to this school in Quebec, they, they were like, no, yeah, by the way, we had your son tested. He's a genius. He has a genius level IQ. He is learning at a pace now that is just works for him, really, as opposed to the school system saying, this is how it works for you. Is, is that the similar kind of school? Like, are, am I connecting this, the schools, like kind of the education, the, the way that Edward Bound works from the American side of it to the Canadian side? Because I was always under the impression that they were connected somehow. They are globally connected under this giant outbound umbrella. And there are actually outbound schools, I think in 40 different countries now, like it is really all over the place. And some are like the one your brother went to a residential place where folks, students come in and stay at a, um, in, in structures and buildings and then kind of expedition out from there. The school I worked at was a wilderness school. So there's, very little infrastructure for people to come to and they're only on expedition for i think they depending on how their course starts they come in they sort their luggage out you know get move into their uh backpacks and bags and canoe packs and then we are out on expedition for weeks at a time and we come back at the end they take a shower eat a meal and hit the, the airport you know it's pretty it's a different sort of uh, delivery, but the same philosophy. And so hearing you talk about how your brother to me it sounds like he found his voice in some ways he found out he learned more about who he was and how he fit into the world, but yes. also what his, where his power was like the literal empowerment of like, Oh, here's how I can be in the world. Here's what I can do. Here's how I can take action in the world. So I think those outcomes are very similar. It's just a slightly different uh, twist on how we go about getting them. I have had an experience as well with uh, a guest on my former show. We as dads start talking. Um, is uh, he was a guest? His name's Ryan Kasparowicz, who runs a program similar to Edward Bound, which is called the Hope Approach, where he de- deals with grown-ups or teenagers with with you know teenage problems. I won't go into too much detail about what he did, but if you want to, it's still in our catalog, folks. You can listen to it. And it's called the Hope Approach with Ryan Kasparowicz. But it, 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 what he does is it, that's the experience that I have of of talking to somebody who's in that industry. And he talks about it the same way. They had a, for example, he had a guy with, there were six guys, all adult men, and one guy in a wheelchair. And the guy in the wheelchair had to do everything everybody else did. And when he got to this specific log, and we use that as a metaphor almost, but it's literal, that he watched this man get over that log. And when the weekend was over, and they came kind of back to reality, the man was in tears and Ryan was like, oh my God, I've screwed it up. What did, what did I do? And the man said, that was the most incredible experience of my entire life. And I will always be a better person because of this. And all the other guys were too. And so talk about a little bit about what is the experience once you get in the canoe and you got your pack and you've got everything ready to go. What did you kind of do with each individual person? Because it was it more student focused as opposed to grownups, basically? Uh, it was a mix. Like there were basically people could sign up by a sort of age category. And I'd say a bulk of the folks were sort of that 14 to 18 year old is a big piece of, especially the summer part of the program. Right. Uh, we also had the 18 to sort of 24 year old college age populations. I worked with a lot and then just adult programs. <laughs> so whatever that means, you know, it could be, I've had folks, I mean, as old as mid sixties out on courses and, uh, you know, as young as 13 for some of the teen courses. So it's a pretty wide range. 
and they're more or less divided by age or length of course you know or category or season i work summers and then winters did dog sledding and skiing for a while too which is people some of those folks would be like i've plenty of folks would be like i've never really camped before i you know i know what a sleeping bag is like this is weird other folks that came on the winter were like oh i'm from georgia like i guess this is what snow is and you're like yeah, we're going to be traveling on ice and frozen lakes. So this is what snow is. You are in it. It's white. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch it too much with your bare hands. So yeah, it's yeah. A, a fun time. I think the the value is to sort of shake people out of their normal habits and normal places of being, normal ways of being. And I think that provides a really like clearing, clarifying experience for folks to understand, oh, do I... Uh, how, how am I operating with a group of people that I don't know? Like, can we get from place to place? You know, and I think in our normal daily life, we create these habits and structures around us that make things easier for us because that's, you know, we're humans. That's how we roll. Like we don't need to make everything really hard all the time. That's not necessary. But when we strip it down to, we need to get these people and this gear and these boats from this lake over land, a portage to another lake, like portaging is actually really, really hard and carrying the stuff like boats are way better and easier and lighter and funner in the water than carrying them across the land. Oh, wait, we need to cook dinner tonight. Like, oh, wait, hold on a second. If I throw my pack in the water, it's going to be soggy and wet. And my sleeping bag is going to be really terrible to sleep in. So, you know, I think there's the practicalities of it are clarifying, but I think that's the same for the gear and the stuff as well as for the people and the human interactions and the people and their internal interactions. I think they, uh, popular conception that I've heard is that our bound is a per individual experience in a group context. So both matter, like who I am as a person matters and who we are as a group, as a team, maybe like I always call them a team to make them think that they're a team, right. And remind them versus, Hey, random strangers in a bunch of boats. Like it's the idea is that you are a team offering your strengths, doing more than you could do individually. If you individually could travel the same distance, it would take you forever to do a hundred trips on every portage, carry every pack over. But when you have your group of seven or nine or whatever it is, suddenly everyone carries a pack or two. We're done in 10 minutes. We are onward, you know? That's um, a bit of a metaphor for life. If you think about it, and I, I don't mean to sound so, you know, goofy about it, but that's one of our mantras of the show is to surround yourself. And that is the, perfect example i think of somebody who needs to surround themselves as opposed to having to portage everything back and or sorry in canada we say portage by the way i know i know i should have known that so sorry Trans <laughs> thanks for translating thanks for translating that for the rest of the world so to portage everything from one lake to the other by yourself is not is not effective and it doesn't build you as a person but definitely doing it on a team like, what kind of progression did you see in people from the minute they stepped up? Like, you may have had that real housewife of Atlanta getting <laughs> getting in the canoe and, you know, nails broken or whatever it is. And I, I, I'm, I'm insulting a, a, a portion of the population, which I apologize for, but it's television, so we're, you know, we're having fun with it. But you have one of those real housewives who comes on. At what point do you start to see a change in a person? It doesn't have to be the real housewife. Is it the minute they get in the boat? Is it the minute they get to their first first portage or like what do you see because i'm sure that we're, we're going to be able to take some of this information and translate it into what you do with wsl leadership if i'm not mistaken for sure for sure i think it's a different for different people but often the very first thing uh we have to pick up folks at the airport and drive them out to the base in northern minnesota and it's about a two and a half hour drive so they're driving but there's only like three turns right it's like the highway to the smaller highway 
to a gravel road to an even tinier gravel road. And then we're there. Right. And uh, often folks start at a, and then the van stops and you're like, this is just a clearing and some trees. Like where even am I? And so I think at that moment, when you have people unload their luggage from the vehicle into, and they're suddenly standing in the circle surrounded by trees, like on the dirt, uh, you know, people, you think they know what they're getting into and they've signed up and they've, you know, money has changed hands. They signed the paper. They agreed to this, they agreed to that, blah, 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 you know, and then they show up and they're like, Oh, like we're really in the woods. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I think that even at that moment, sometimes you see people, their eyes are just a little bit bigger, you know, just trying to soak it in and be like, I think some of them are thinking, is someone, something going to bust out and eat me right now? Are there bears, you know, what's going to happen? And the other part is, am I going to starve and die? Like, where's the food? You know, like people get really close in on sort of basic survival. And then the next thing is, are the bugs going to eat me? You know, are the bears going to eat me? Are the bugs going to eat me? And what am I going to eat? Then, oh my gosh, where do I go to the bathroom? How's that even going to work? This is freaking me out. And then there's sort of like a moment where that flushes through people and then they get to know each other and they get to connect with their people around them. And we spend a lot of time at the beginning getting to know the individual, right? Like, who are you? Like, what is... Tell me about you as a person. As part of my job, I think that has translated over is to really connect with people like specifically and directly at the very beginning. Like I want to know who you are. If it's just your name for now, great. I can, you know, I don't need to your life story in the first 10 minutes, but I'm going to start building that sense of connection so that over time we build trust and build a sense of respect. So people are open to learning and open to growing. And I think that, uh, that moment of, fear. I mean, I would say literally it's fear and concern, panic, you know, somewhere on this fear spectrum is often pretty immediate for folks. Or then once they get out, we're like, hey, you know what, you actually don't need to bring that giant vat of deodorant, like that's not going to help you. And some people are like, wow, how, you know, like, no, you're not going to bring 45 pairs of underwear on a 30 day trip. Like that's also not going to happen. You know, like, I think some of that, that once it gets very physical, tangible, is uh, very fun to see people sort of like their brains are rewiring <laughs> in that exact moment. It's almost like you you watch people go through. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and um, it almost is like they go through the physiological needs first during this trip. Well, I'm I'm just kind of interpreting what you're saying is food, water, warmth, and what's the third, fourth one? Rest. They're trying to figure out where's my food coming from. Am I going to stay warm? Am I going to be wet? Where's my shelter? And then they talk about safety. Is the bear going to get me? <laughs> Are you seeing? those steps and what's the evolution of a person though? Is it, is it, do you, when you're a guide or the leader, do you have to adhere, do you have to kind of um, look at somebody individually and understand, I know where I'm going to have to help Bob. Bob's more afraid of the bears than he is about worrying about water or food, or he'll sleep on the dirt if he has to, but he's worried about it. Can that be a difficult challenge for someone who is a leader? to be able to go in and say, I now need to not, um, not babysit, but you're, you're the leader. So you're the, you know, at the beginning, you're probably the babysitter, but are, are you looking and saying, I need to address each individual's needs? Or do you say you're on a team, the needs of the team come first, they outweigh the needs of the few? Uh, you call a couple things come to mind. I actively dislike Maslow because it's this hierarchy, right? And there's this pathway. And I prefer Glasser, William Glasser, who had the basic needs. And he would say survival needs come first. Like if we can't, we, if we don't have food or water or safety, and that's psychological or physical safety, we're not going to 
work on our other needs, like those needs take precedence. But then after that, all the other needs are equal. So we don't need to, there's not this hierarchy of like, well, someday I'll be self-actualized, but for now I'm just like merely survive, you know, like that's for me, the, a gross simplification of Maslow versus Glasser, right? So I'm on the Glasser side, but I think you also speak this absolutely true truth that some people are, we have to meet people where they're at. Someone who shows up and is so terrified that a bear is going to eat them is like, we need to address that. Like, yeah, we need to talk with you about this. This is going to be like, we need to build some rapport and connection. We need to build a sense of safety in for you to like be here and be engaged and be, you know, present versus someone else who might be like, Oh yeah, I'm not worried about that, but I'm really worried about food. Like I'm so like, what do we, when do we, I'm hungry. When do we, you know, and you're like, okay, great. We, I got this for you. Like, here's where it is. Like, we're going to talk through this and the way there's this idea of progression too. And this is where the educator part comes in. In the beginning, I need to be giving you this information. I need to offer, tell you how to do this, how to live, how to be uh, safe and survive and thrive in this wilderness environment that might be totally unique to you. But over time, I turn that over to the team. So there's this middle phase where the team needs to suddenly not suddenly, it's not like a surprise, like they know this is coming. The team takes on a little bit more of that, like, oh, I need to take care of each other. I need to be involved and invested in like how everyone is doing to this late stage progression. We're like, we're doing it. And the instructors, which is like technically was my title, are in the background as a safety net. And the students are, have taken out leadership of that role of that team and that group. So they're leading the way. They're figuring out where we need to go, how we need to get there, how we're going to do it, what we're eating, you know, as much as possible, the students take over full leadership of the course. And the instructors go from, I'm in front of you, you know, helping you, literally telling you how to tie your shoes today to, okay, I'll see you in like 20 minutes. Let me know where you're stopping for lunch. You know, it's a amazing progression. And I think that gives students the opportunity to take on actual tangible leadership. Has it ever broken out into a very, very um, scary version of Lord of the Flies? <laughs> I think they want to. And Survivor was really big. Like, who do we, can we vote off Joey? He's being such a dirt. And you're like, okay, dial it back. Like no one's getting voted off. But this is, whenever these issues come up to me, it's like, awesome. Here's a time where this is super real and super tangible to talk about how this team functions, to talk about decision-making, to talk about what fairness versus equity actually mean when you're like, I've carried my pack and I'm sitting down. You're like, but yet there's all these packs that need to be carried. Huh? How does this going to work? You know? So I think those moments to me, I think in the initially we were like, Oh my gosh, my students are like freaking out. They're all going to, you know, panic and die too as a more uh, skilled practitioner to be like excellent this is a moment where it's super real that this team is not working together well not communicating well now, this is where it's really obvious that they need a tool a skill some help some support and they're going to literally be using this two minutes later because they need to keep going and need to keep doing what they're doing so i think i mean things there are arguments there are things don't go well we don't make our miles we're paddling into the darkness sometimes like it's not always easy and smooth, but I think those are valuable lessons, valuable. Uh, they open the door for a lot of valuable lessons. So nobody actually kills piggy. Um, <laughs> no, not on my courses. <laughs> there's no, there's no um, immunity challenge, but no. do you start to notice who's a type A, who's a type B? I'm being a little bit general with those terms, but does a true leader step out and start to, to take over because you're, you're, you're seeing, I'm going to step back. I'll be behind that tree having a drink of water. <laughs> and when you guys implode, then I'll come in. But do you, do you start to see each individual personality start to take over? Because in, 
what I'm going to ask you in, in, a, in, a, you know, in a few minutes down the road is where do you see that from a leadership perspective, uh, it, whether it's work, sport, or life? When we're talking, now, we're not talking about just teenagers, because you mentioned students, but there are students who are adults. Do you start to see those people, there's the person who always acquiesces to everybody else, and then there would be that alpha person that comes out. What does that dynamic look like when you're out in the middle of nowhere, literally? And does the true leader come out or can it sometimes be fake and they still don't know what they're doing? This is a great question. Part of the structure is that people have jobs that they're assigned every day. And one of the jobs is leader of the day or might be a leadership team. Like one or two people are assigned to that. And so everyone has to rotate through this role and they learn super quickly what they think of sometimes as a leader, which is this, I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to do it raw, you know, kind of weird kind of movie style drill sergeant weird thing is not effective is not how they want to be treated and is not feel authentic to them to do right and so i think there's this beautiful part that happens once you give people sort of like they're voluntold they have to be the leader of the day right now like some students are like oh my god like oh, this is gonna be the worst and others are like no problem whatever and the learning is different from each of them and i think there's this really beautiful part that comes out around different leadership styles where some folks are that really loud, like cheerleader style, like, woo, we can do it. And you're like, great, that's fun. And someone else the next day might be nearly silent all day. Yet the team gets exactly where it needs to go. Everything's done. Camp's clean. Everything's beautiful. We're on, you know, whatever. And that's a completely different style, but equally effective and equally valuable for everyone to see in that group and for everyone to, uh, have this sort of opportunity and this to be these longer courses that you go through this rotation more than once. So the first time you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. I don't have enough tools. Like, wait, we need to make a decision. Do I decide? Do you decide? Like who's even deciding how we do what we're doing? Well, you know, it can get very, um, kind of nitty gritty detaily, but by the time they come around often the second time, they're like, Oh, I've also seen my, my teammates go through this and some I like, some I didn't, some I should do more like this. I'm going to maybe act more like that. And they get to try it on and literally be that leader of the day, whether they sort of would have chosen that naturally or not. And the value is that they can do it in their own way and they get feedback from the team and support from the team. So it's not just like, I'm going to go on strike because you're the leader and I don't like you. You know, they all know they need to get somewhere. And so it's just this amazingly real conversation with, especially with college kids and adults, I would say, who are a little more nuanced in how they they see themselves being seen by others, if this makes sense. So they, they're like, Oh, well, I don't want to be that sort of yelly leader. I'm going to be this style. And then you're like, well, is that effective? Like, is it getting stuff done? And they're like, "Mm, no. Okay, great. I need to try something else. I need to be a little more assertive or I need to be a little more, you know, whatever it is for them that they might need to be a more effective leader. I need to be more clear in what I'm asking, or I need to be more inclusive in a decision-making, whatever, you know, each person is sort of different. Each situation is a little different. And that's so amazing and beautiful to see like that actual authenticity that is how they are going to lead in their own voice. I love the word that you used fallen told. <laughs> right. I'm that totally, happened. I'm totally, ta- I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal that word. From I'll you. do it. Yeah. That's definitely not an original to me. So would you like you to be, would you like to volunteer? Or would you like to be voluntold? Uh, <laughs> but that I've seen, and I'm not talking about reality TV. Like I've seen this firsthand, you know, I was a Cub Scout, et cetera, et cetera. But, I've seen it in the corporate world and I've seen it in social circles where you mentioned it. A lot of times when you're going your second time around, you've already learned so much 
that you're able to process that information a lot faster to be able to be that better leader. And that's the difference between being in the drill sergeant, the community leader, meaning everybody gets a vote. You know, I don't know, what do you guys think? And I, I would, honestly, I would love to see it firsthand because it would be such, I, I honestly wish that I had gone to school for anthropology and just studied the human condition and understood what, how that works. But it, I would love it to be filmed, actually, if they could do it on a TV show somehow. Um, it would be incredible. But what my question that, that kind of came to mind is, how do you handle failure out there? Meaning, like, somebody has taken their, their leader of the day, and they've just failed miserably. And that's not necessarily, hey, we're, hey by the way, Iggy, we're going to vote Bob out because Bob sucks at leadership. But it's Bob's third time through this, or it's his first time. How do you handle the failure part of it? Because that is something that is innately human. We are going to fail. And what do we do about it? Well, I'd say the first part is reframing failure as challenge and struggle, because we all cha have challenge and struggle. And failure looks, I like the word failure, and I think it's part of what I do is deal in failure. Like that is like failure and discomfort are my tools. And so the idea that, you know, I think failure has gotten rebranded lately, like we're failing forward. And you're like, well, okay, like maybe you are, or maybe you're just th think that failure is, you know, you know, put a little gold star for failure on whatever. But I think the idea of struggle and challenge are where we develop a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And if we can accept that challenge slash failure, failure slash, you know, struggle are part of the human condition, I think there's no escaping it when you're on an expedition in some ways, because you're going to be uncomfortable in some way. You know, I think the, even folks who've been out in the field, you know, hundred million years or whatever, they've been out there, something new is going to happen. The weather's going to change. The wind's going to pick up, you know, whatever it is that things are not going to be easy all the time. So how you respond in those moments of challenge and moments of adversity are really important. And I think important in different ways. That doesn't mean that you're like, Oh, like, you know, it's my job to get up the team today and I overslept and suddenly the team's sleeping in late. Like, that's my job as the instructor to step in and be like, hey, well, actually, we need to travel today. FYI, like, I'm going to, you know, support you and help you take, you know, step into this role a little bit better and give you some more tools and give you a little more support. That happens for sure sometimes. But I think the goal always is to, as the instructor for me to always step back and let you do it on your own. Like, what is your style? What is your way? And people need learn in different ways, right? Sometimes it's like a one-on-one -on -one conversation, like, hey, leader of the day, we need to talk about your tone of voice. It's really not working right now. People are tuning you out. Things aren't happening. Have you noticed this? You know, what's going on? Do you think this is working? Do you not? Like, here's what I see. What do you see? You know, kind of be that reflective partner for some people. And other times it's like, oh, wait, this whole group, no one here knows how to make a group decision. We're just voting on everything. Or we assume there's consensus. Like, I've heard this term recently, the... Uh, like, yeah, just like kind of assumed consensus, like, oh, we're all happy with this. Great. Let's go. And like, there's not actually a conversation or, you know, anything doesn't happen. And there's one person in the back or two or three who are like, uh, no, I'm not into this, but I guess, you know, so making sure that there's space for those different things. I think it takes working with people individually, but also those failures are just expressions of more tools needed, more practice needed, or maybe a different style of learning is needed, you know, some, not everyone learns well through a one-on-one -on -one conversation or a, let me like draw you a picture of this or whatever it is. It just might just mean a different type of practice or a different type of, you know, lesson is going to suit you better. 
or we need to talk about our values and our our goals to begin with. Like, wait, are we even on the same page is another fun conversation. And sometimes assumed consensus can really backfire. Oh yeah. Because (laughs) the the three people in the back that may not have, they may have only been paying attention about 75% of it. And then they wait for their turn to say, I told you so. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's, oh, well, we'll do it for now until I get pissed off and start complaining about it. And then they start to contest what the leader of the day is, is decided. And that Have can you be- worked in like any organization today. This is like classic adult behavior, but good job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I've seen it so many times where people just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, okay. No, that sounds like a good idea. And then when it doesn't go their way, that's when they pull out the guns and say, I don't like this. Or I should have said something at the beginning. And that can be extremely frustrating for the leader uh, and, that, and that style of leadership. That, that whole thing with they're not growing as a leader if they're doing it that way for sure. And I'm sure you've run into it in your business where you're, you're dealing with so many people that are not necessarily leading the way they could potentially lead because they are natural leaders. Or actually, you know what? I'm going to segue for a quick second and I'm just going to ask you, are leaders born or can they be can they be made? No leader is ever born. Universally impossible to be born a leader. Okay. A quick, concise <laughs> answer. I like that. So leaders are made. You can now can you create, can you create a leader out of anyone or do they have to be not necessarily do they have to have the qualities, but do they have to be willing to accept that training or development or insert four other Mm. words that I'm going to use and, and say, in order to create a good leader, do we do that? Does that individual have to have anything innate about themselves? I would say broadly, no, I don't know if you know the story of Cincinnatus, the, I think Roman is he Greek. I don't know, but basically the guy that gets elected, he's like, I'm just going to hang out at my farm. And they're like, no, you're going to lead us. And they force him to go to the Capitol and be a leader, blah, blah, blah. Everything's amazing. So I think there's people that are like thrown into these sort of leadership roles and leadership titles, but I don't know that that means that anyone else is necessarily less of a leader. I think people can lead in their own way. I think when we, we still, we were always fighting these sort of stereotypes of what it means to be a leader or who is a leader, what a leader looks like, what a leader acts like, what a leader sounds like. We have very um, clear biases around that in terms of, you know, who we vote for, who we elect, who we whatever, like, oh, they look like a leader. They sound like a leader or, you know, who we have as our team captain. Oh, they're the, you know, the extrovert outspoken one that doesn't necessarily, like we have these, there's still just stereotypes around what a leader is. And I think anyone can lead effectively in their own unique style and in a way that is meaningful, huge impact. And it's not going to look like anyone else. And I don't know that there's a one, like I have a, a class I do that's called leadership skills for everyday life, but it's really about understanding your values, communication, a couple of problem solving tools, things like that. But it's not going to give you, I was talking to someone recently who was like, oh yeah, I did the leadership training when I got a promotion at my job. And it was a series of videos that were like checklists of things to do. I'm like, oh, is that what it means to be a leader at your job? Is this video series checklist? And he's like, I guess, I don't know. Like that. And he did not find it super useful, but I think there's these, like just saying the word leadership, there's so many different ideas of what that means. And there's maybe this little piece of us is like, okay, it's not the drill sergeant, but it's MLK, like the big speech, the orator, you know, is like who the leader is. I'm like, maybe, and maybe that's not you. Maybe you are not a public speaker. Maybe you're the quiet in the background, you know, person subtly pushing things in the direction they need to go or bringing along the two good friends or whispering in the ear of someone else. Like those are 
you know, all modes of leadership that I think anyone can take on in their life. I've had the privilege or maybe the curse of working for some fortune, some very large fortune 500 companies. And one of the companies that I worked for, their method of promotion was, is if you were the best at your job, you got promoted. If you were the worst at your job, obviously you were let go. And everyone who sat in the middle just either left of their own volition or they were eventually pushed out. And I happened to be very close with one of the higher up leaders in the company. And I said to him, I think that your method or your, your process for hiring is deeply, deeply flawed. Oh, well, why? They immediately get their backup because they're the one that came up with it. And I said, it's deeply flawed because just because you're the best at something doesn't mean you're going to be the best leader of those people that do that. Well, what do you mean? Well, the guy you just promoted was the number one sales rep and so on and so forth. But he has the worst leadership qualities that we've ever seen. And we know, and I'm saying we because as a team, but I was just the person talking to a close friend. And, and being able to, because a lot of times you would never go up to the, an executive at your company and go, your promotion style sucks. What the hell's your problem? But at the end of the day, they had more backfires than they had successes with those leadership, um, uh, giving someone a, a leadership role. And I remember having a conversation with someone else um, and saying, that this, they said, well, this guy's an engineer. And he's, a, you know, that, why did you promote that guy? Well, he's because he's got an engineering degree. So all engineers make great leaders? Well, no. I said, well, what qualities did he have that that guy over there, who was just as good at his job as the other guy, who only has a college degree? And I'm just using silly examples. Well, but he's an engineer. And I said, well, you're, then you're, your system is flawed. Then I also worked for another company that their method of, of promoting somebody was time served. Well, you've been here the longest, so you get promoted. And you could see, if you looked at the flow chart of the company from the top down, and frankly, actually, this was a Fortune 500 company and I worked, for the, I worked there for three years. I did not know who the president of the company was because he never saw him. So he was an absent leader. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but what, the point I'm getting to is that there are so many companies out there that have criteria for choosing their leadership and it really seems that it's it's a it's a basically a trickling down of the person that is actually leading. And do we as as individuals or salespeople or accounting or whatever it is, is do we see that and say to ourselves, yeah, you might not want to work for this company anymore? What do you think? Is that hmm. do you choose like I one of the things that I always said to myself was whatever job I'm interviewing for, I want to make sure that that leader is the best leader I can learn from because I've worked some for some really bad managers, like really bad, like micromanaging is like, Oh my God, I wish that word didn't exist. But is it the responsibility of those people to look at the leadership and say, this is how the company is going to work. And if I'm not one of them or I don't see it, you know, should I do that? Like, are you looking at something like that when you talk about leadership? It's not just looking up, it's also looking down or vice versa? Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you hit it really well. I think there's this, 
in sports somehow we can say that not every player makes a great coach but yet in business we're like well every great engineer that's been around three years makes a great engineer man team manager i guess for some weird reason you know like it doesn't even make sense if you think about even like back to the sports analogy like every athlete you know on a sports team can you imagine them coaching that team you'd be like no it would be terrible <laughs> like we get such a you know some we get more of a slice of their personality than others but we can see it right yeah wayne gretzky was one of the worst head coaches in the history of the nhl there you go. Greatest hockey player of all time, arguably, although I think it's Mario Lemieux myself, but he was not a good coach. Sometimes, right. you know, they always say those who can do, those who can't teach or coach, but sometimes you don't have to have that leadership, ment that leadership ability, or sorry, you don't have to be the best at your job to necessarily be the best leader of people who do that job. You just have to have maybe a foundation or a knowledge of it. Sure. Well, sure. I think there's, they're totally different skills, right? Often they're very different skills. Like the skill to do the technical aspect of your job might not at all be the skill to lead people doing the technical aspect of your job. I think it helps, you know, to have technical expertise, but leadership skills are very different than technical. Um, a lot of the sort of nitty gritty technical job style skills. I think you also speak to this other great thing, which is what makes a good follower. And I, just wrote a little article on follower, the power of followership, right? We don't actually want followers who are blindly compliant. Like we think we do. We're like, oh yeah, I just want to say jump and then I want them all to jump and this is going to be balls, right? But in reality, we want followers who are thoughtful and can push innovation forward if we want to survive and grow as an organization. You know, if you don't, if you want to stay static and like entropy to eat yourselves alive, go for that. But if you want to grow and evolve, you actually need everyone within that that team, that organization to be like, oh, well, what about this? How about this? You know, to push things forward a little bit and have a voice. And I recently read this great article about how we don't even want our followers to have a voice. We want our followers to be just a little bit and of troublemakers. We want positive troublemakers who are going to call out these problems and be like, you know, like we want actually a few more squeaky wheels as a leader than we probably are comfortable with, I would say. Because with like comfort as a leader is like, oh, everyone's on board, we're all going the same direction, everything's amazing. And in reality, we need someone to be like, you know, I'm not on board, but here's why. Or, you know, we're actually headed, we need to like shift this a little bit this other direction. And that has to come from who we normally would call the followers, right? Which actually gives a huge amount of power to followers. And then if your leader is like you were speaking just a minute ago with this absent sort of leader that's someone somewhere out there, how would they have any idea of what's actually happening in their organization or what would be useful or what would be helpful? The people doing the work, the followers are often the people who know best about what's going to be useful, helpful, and drive things in a useful direction. And I think there's obviously room for a leader to be like, you know, we're all actually going to shift this way. Like, great. You know, there's room for vision at anywhere within an organization, but unless followers take like own their power to like be voices for and agents for change and growth, your organization fundamentally over time is going to deteriorate. When you have that dichotomy between the ivory tower and the trenches and nobody ever comes down from the ivory tower, how are they supposed to understand how things work in the trenches? Absolutely. Now I'm not saying that a good leader needs to be an absolute product knowledge expert because I've had leaders come into positions when I was on a team we'll say I was a sales rep and we had a leader come in who knew zero about the business. Sorry. They knew about the business, but they knew zero about the product. And that I think is something that can be learned quite quickly for the, for an averagely intelligent person. But what they had was they had the foundation of leadership that brought us together closer or um, made us think 
um, in, without blinders on. They made us, they gave us vision to speak. And then when you're in a meeting and you're saying, you know what, it's not always going to be that assumed consensus. We don't want a bunch of mice just following behind us like we're the Pied Piper. But, well, I'll say that I, I think that there's a fine line between being that positive troublemaker and then being a shit disturber, right? You have to still be a team player, right? Once you realize that the decision has been made, you need to be on board 100%. Uh, but I think that there are some leaders that can go into certain industries, and we're, we're talking about the business world now, but we could talk about sport or anything. And there comes a certain point where, you know, if you're leading by committee, or if you're leading by, what does everybody think about this? And you're going to have those devil's advocates. Like whenever, I, whenever in the past I've ever had a meeting, I've always said to somebody who wants to play devil's advocate. And if, if the listeners don't know what a devil's advocate is, the etymology of that is actually when the Catholic Church de, uh, decides on who's going to be a saint, they actually have a team of people called the devil's advocate who go in to try to make sure that that person doesn't become a saint. And so I always say to the person, you get to play devil's advocate, but you don't get to be a, an asshole about it. But you get, to con you get to try to contest because it makes us think everything through more thoroughly. And it makes us come to our decision that we can all agree on. But I think a good leader still ultimately needs to say, sometimes, no, this is the way I would like it done. Thank you very much. And it can be difficult for some people to follow somebody like that. And yeah, in, you have to have some bottom lines somewhere or else what are you even doing as a leader? Just like, you know, I'm going to use a silly, <laughs> a silly wrestling reference, but that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. And <laughs> sometimes a good leader needs to say, well, they need to put their foot down. And there's going to come a point where, uh, you know, a good employee says, okay, I made my point. I voiced my opinion. It's not always going to be listened to, but so be it. I'm still on a good team. Right. And it's that creating that team atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. It is a fine line. It's really tricky, right? Because we actually, and I would say one of the skills that we lack often is validation. Like I need to be able to validate your ideas, which means really show that I have heard and understand. And I can do that and completely disagree with your point. But if you don't feel heard, sometimes you're just going to keep talking, keep talking, you know, like not keep talking, like bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, because you don't feel heard. And that's really just my fault as a leader for not validating like, hey, I hear you maybe I need to tell you like why we're not doing it that way. Or maybe I need to be like, Oh yeah, that is, here's a good point. Here's a bad point. Or maybe I need to be like, you know, it's not going to happen. Get over it. You know, like whatever it is. But if I don't understand that treat you as someone who's been heard and been valued as my teammate, why are you on my team? That's when people, I think jettison out of teams earlier than maybe they need to, when they had good perspective, good ideas, good, you know, energy to bring in, but it wasn't heard, wasn't validated. There wasn't that space. The leader didn't create a space where that bravery for someone to speak up was valued or validated. I read, um, Lee Iacocca was, was always, I was always a big fan of him. And when I finished school and decided to go into business, I always looked at the way that Lee Iacocca had led. He never ever took credit. Well, he took credit for the Mustang, but he took credit as the leader of the team that created the Mustang. He did lead Chrysler out of bankruptcy, but he had a team of people behind him and he recognized each individual person when they had something to contribute. Like you said, it didn't necessarily have to be the way that they were going to go with it, but you, people need to be acknowledged when they have an idea or a thought. 
or a feeling. And that goes the same thing for life. You know, like you said, WSL, work, sport, life. In life, we need to be validated for what we said, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that the, that's the direction that the, the, you know, the company is going to go in. And we're using corporate, the corporate world as an example. Um, have you ever seen, and we've kind of faded away from Outward Bound, but in your current career, have you seen those leaders where you almost looked at them and said, you know, I'm really glad that you came to me because you're not doing a good job right now, mister, and I need to help you. Unfortunately, I don't see them as much, but I see their employees come to me and be like, I'm working for this total jerk, like help me out. So I think some of them, some of those leaders who are doing the worst work, <laughs> I don't know if I can really characterize it, are not open to growth and learning and feedback. And they've been in a bubble for a while. And this is like one of these other problems of leadership that as you go up this sort of food chain hierarchy, you get less and less oxygen and less and less feedback and less and less, you know, uh, divergent points of view. And so that is fundamentally problematic in a lot of organizations that the CEO, the executive director, whatever is sort of in a little echo chamber of two people, you know, feeding them just the news that fits their mindset. So that's one unfortunate sort of facet of many organizations, but I do hear from, so if those folks are open to growth and learning, yeah, it's amazing to connect with them. But often it is sort of the middle manager, the second in command, the someone else who's like, Ugh, this, my team captain is really kind of terrible. Help me out with this. Or like, I'm struggling with my boss. Like, how do I get them to not micromanage me? And this is killing me. You know, I, so I think, unfortunately, that's who's more motivated sometimes because often our, the leadership title role person doesn't quite see it or get it. And I've, I'm, have you heard of, I don't know if this has crossed your ears when someone's like, well, this is just how I am, you know, you gotta love it or lump it, you know, whatever. And you're like, wow. Yeah. I've heard it all the time. The I, worst leadership attitude. Yeah. I've ever it. heard. Absolutely hate it. I hate that as much as I hate hearing I'm a micromanager. <laughs> really? Cause you shouldn't have the manage word in that title. You shouldn't have the micro title. Like I once had a manager. <laughs> I literally quit my job because he told me, well, sorry, my, my fault. I was in an interview for a company and the manager who I was going to report to in this position self-admitted that he was the world's worst micromanager. And Run when, away. <laughs> yeah. when I didn't take the job and the recruiter said, why aren't you taking the job? I said, go ask him about his management style and if he's a micromanager or not. And I, that will tell you why you will never fill this position because it is one of the worst traits that a leader can have is to be that micromanager. Because and then yet people, they know it and stick with it. Well, and then be proud of it. Like to yeah. boast about it just makes my stomach turn. But it's also, there's, there's so many different styles of leadership that we've, we've spoken about. You know, there's the drill sergeant. There's the committee leader. There's the, the persuasive leader who says, I hear you, uh, but we're going to go in this direction. And here's why I don't, you know, here's why we're, we're going to go in this direction as opposed to the suggestions that you've had. Because you can't do everything that everybody wants to do. Otherwise, you're just going to run in circles. And like you said, people can just sit and just like completely self-annihilate themselves if they continue to do the same things over and over and over again. You know, somebody said, well, somebody said to me the other day, well, we've been dealing with that person for 30 years. Oh, and you still haven't fixed it? Oh. <laughs> and I said, fine, but we're changing. We're not using that person anymore. We're, they were vendors. We're not going to use that vendor, vendor anymore. We're going to use this new vendor. But we've been with them for 30 years. 
And I said, do you know what happens to a company that does the same thing for 30 years? And this individual was like, what? I said, they go out of business after 15 years because you have to be adaptable to change. And you have to have a leader who is willing to, to make those changes. So that the reason why I, I mentioned that was in your, uh, sorry, hold on, we're gonna go back to, in your leadership educator position, what are you teaching leaders about the adaptability to change? Because that's, that's a, certainly an important thing for a leader because if you're stuck in your ways, like you said earlier, you're going to lose big time. Mm, I think there's sort of two things that come out of the make that come to mind when you say that. And one is I'm a big advocate for talking about the shared values that a group, a team has. And I think a lot of organizations that have done this once, they have their mission statement, they have their values up on the website, they have this poster over here in the office and we're done. We got values, we're moving on. But I think without revisiting those, sometimes you don't actually the people that are here now in this time, in this space, doing whatever, aren't really necessarily on board. And like some of you are like, well, who's not gonna be on board with honesty or whatever your values are? Like, great, like your values might be good. But having those conversations about what the values are and then how we now are going to actualize them matters a ton. So I help teams kind of walk through this, like, like, well, yeah, we have values. Like we have a mission statement, whatever it is. I'm like, cool. When's the last time you talked about how that's, is that alive in your organization? And usually they're like, well, I mean, it's alive because it's on our website. And you're like, well, that's not very alive, you know? So what does it mean to do these things now? And that I think opens the door to conversations, which open the door to change and evolution, right? And I think some of that is useful and helpful. And I think there's also this part about growth mindset versus fixed mindset in specific individuals and in leaders. And this is Carol Dweck's amazing work on this, that if I view challenge as an opportunity to grow and learn, I'm going to get so much further than if I view challenge as a threat to my existence as a human being and who I am as a person. And then I close off, you know, defensive walls, walls, walls. I'm not going to be open to growth and learning and I'm going to not evolve or grow or learn and go the way of so many companies that were amazing at one point. And then you're like, well, wait, where's Kodak now? Like what happened to them? You know, like these people that didn't grow and learn for various reasons, people, companies, you know, whatever it is. And as a leader, like you're setting the tone for this, right? In your organization, or as a leader within any space, it's obvious like how you, how you present as either open to growth and learning or not, is going to really trickle and affect the people around you, what they bring to you, what they say, how they act, how they interact. So I think the, it's crucial to cultivate a growth mindset and it's definitely hard. And we don't universally have a growth mindset about everything all the time. We have as humans, we have to accept that there are places where our mindset is very fixed. They're like, well, this is just how I see myself, how I see the world. That's what it is. But we, if we're not aware of where those spaces are, I think we get tripped up. They're like, well, no one could ever, you know, I don't know. Uh, we can never as an organization move into that sector. Like, well, if you, cool, that might mean you focus over here on this sector, but, or that means you've just cut off your arm and now you're just operating one-handed in the world in a way that is not going to be useful or valuable or, or effective for you moving forward. Can you imagine if Steve Jobs had said, oh, we're not going to go into portable music players and, and embrace <laughs> MP3 technology? Where would, Apple, right. where would Apple be? And, and we're talking, we, it kind of brings me back to that whole ivory tower versus the trenches scenario, where if they're sitting, if a, if a leader is sitting up in the ivory tower for too long, which is what I think happened at Kodak, somebody in middle management or down below went in and said, uh, hey guys, um, we might want to start looking at this whole digital technology. Nope. We're going to do film and film only because that's what we do. And that's what we've been doing for 110 years. 
guess what? You won't make it to your 120th birthday. Goodbye. I'm going to go work. Well, yeah. I heard that I read recently that Kodak had a digital camera development wing, and then they just are like, nah, we're not going to fund them, whatever. Like, they literally were had a digital camera sort of in development way much earlier than they came out popularly, but that wasn't where their energy and focus went. And it's hard. I mean, there's, like, also trends. Like, who would have known things that are big now would have been big 20 years ago? You know, like, obviously things are evolving and changing, and if you're just chasing fads and trends, like, that's not necessarily always the best, but to have to be – like committed to what your values are and growth and learning, I think saves you from being overly trend dependent to in a certain way and just being like, well, here's where the winds are blowing. I guess we're headed that way. Like, cool. You have a sail, but you also need a rudder, you know, like you need to be able to steer your own course. You can definitely follow the trends, but you also know when to, you got to know when to pull the ripcord and say we're out. (laughs) Right. Because some companies spend too much time completely diverting their business model and their value and visions. Values and visions, I'll pluralize both. But if you've got the same values and visions that you had in 1970, you're definitely not, they're not applicable in today's business world, in today's market. And if we were to say, use Kodak again as an example, they, they, somebody needs to realize when it's a trend or when it's, when it's going to be like set in concrete. And we have to, you have to have that vision. I mean, I look at Steve Jobs. Yes, apparently he was terrible to work for. As far as being a manager, he was brutal, but he had vision towards what was going to be the future. Now, we don't need a futurist, which, by the way, I'm going to be having on the show in a couple of weeks. We don't need a futurist to tell us what's what's going to happen. But it's almost like I look at sports, for example. You never fire the entire team. You always fire the manager if the team's not doing well, right? And the the manager of the team has to have the vision not just for the, the game that's happening today, but next week's game and the week after and the week after. A good leader in 2021 should already be looking at 2022 and 2023. They've already set the foundation. So when you're talking about sports, for example, and I'm segueing a little bit, but when you're talking about sports, do you fire the team or do you fire the manager? And what if the manager wasn't the one that needed to be fired? Because Is it because the players don't want to play for him? That's what you hear in the news all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm from Toronto, so our, our media is all about the Toronto Maple Leafs Mm. and it's the toughest job in the world on, I'm I'm embellishing a little bit, but the toughest job (laughs) in Canada is being the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm. You're under such scrutiny by the media, et cetera. So, you know, my question to you as, as a professional who consults with these, these types of jobs, do you fire the team or do you fire the manager? Or how do you fix either one? I think when I've seen teams struggle so much, I think this is often a case where the the coach, the captain, the manager has a ton of technical skill, but not always a ton of leadership skill. And so my first angle would be to understand like how this relationship has developed. Is there trust? Is there respect in the relationship between the team and the manager? Yes, no, great. What causes this? Well, you know, it becomes... I think there's the quantitative and the qualitative both that really matter, you know, and I think sports is amazing because we're very quantitative, right? We got stats, we got numbers, we have this, we have that, we have rankings, you know, it's very, there's numbers, numbers, numbers. And yet we also can see, I don't know if you've watched 
like I, I'm, hockey is great for this because it's flowing sport, right? And you can see when they're sort of operating together and they know where they are and they know what's happening. And you can see times when they're not and people, you're like, why are they over there? What's happening? Like it's disjointed. It just doesn't, the sport doesn't actually flow in the way, you know, basketball is very similar. I'm a big uh, connected to the roller derby community. It's again, it's like a very flowing sport. So you see, you can tell, you know, after you kind of get the fl- idea of the sport and how it works, if the team is working together or not in subtle ways. And so I think the, when you have this relationship between a manager and a team, I think there's both like, does a manager have good leadership skills and do the teammates have good followership skills? I think we sort of underestimate like what it takes to be a good follower. And if we're talking about these followers that are brave, sometimes troublemakers in a positive way, but not anti-team like so hardcore devil's advocate that they're team destructive, right? You know, there's, we don't need those folks on our actual team. And so the followers have good skills. Does the leader have a good skill? And to me, often that just boils down to communication and communication styles. I've definitely talked to teams where they're like, oh, well, I don't find out if I'm rostered for the next bout until the night before. And I get a text, like I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm up all night. I'm stressed out. Can we just get this communication sooner? Can we just, you know, there are sometimes very tangible things. You're like, oh yeah, this communication flow isn't working. Or the, I think in sports, unfortunately, sometimes there's this myth of the sort of angry arms crossed, sitting back coach that just like barks at the team, you know, like, which is this, just this permutation of the kind of classic drill sergeant leader mentality. And you're like, okay, like that's not super pro human for a lot of people that doesn't feel good. How do we help them bring their strengths out as a leader, but also communicate better often to the team. And so I don't know if we fire the teammate or fire the, or fire the manager or fire the teammates, but I think there is like, it just speaks to what that actual problem is. And often I would say communication, but lack of shared vision and values. And I think sports, especially there's a difference between winning and success. And so we need to be on the same page with what winning means and what success means if it's not winning. Right. Cause you can only, I mean, most people only win so much of the time, like very few teams win universally constantly all the time. So how do we pursue success? and winning simultaneously and what happens when we're not winning to still succeed and what happens if we're not succeeding yet winning that's the trickier one right some of these teams that have been successful for a while or have won for a while but are not successful as a team and in their function so much toxicity and negative team behavior are just tolerated and then suddenly someone turns around and is like everything's actually terrible here like i'm you know i hate being here i just shut up and do my part and leave as fast as i can i'm you know not invested and your team is barely functional, but because of skill, because of ability, whatever, you're still winning. Like that is equally problematic. And those teams implode and it's like a supernova that blows up. So maybe some, if your team's a ticking time bomb like that, like communication, team leadership skills and teammate skills are really key to get everyone literally on the same page, agreeing about winning and success and what those mean. As a fan of a, of a hockey team who hasn't won the Stanley cup in 54 years, I'm going to tell you there were lots of situations where we just wanted to fire the entire team. And I don't care. <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs fans are so weird. We, I, I've got a buddy whose license plate has a Toronto Maple Leafs logo, and it just says, oh, well, next year. <laughs> and But there's there are those times where you want to get rid of the entire team, but as a good leader, you need to be able to develop those people, and you need to be able to find out what they are. And And, and one thing I am taking out of this now, We've learned so much today, by the way. Uh, but there's a few there's a few things that I want to uh, I'm personally going to take out of this, which is followership skills. That 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 really resonated with me because you need a good leader needs to know 
or needs to be able to teach people how to be good followers, not lambs to the, you know, uh, lambs to the slaughter, but they need to know how to be good followers. And that's super important. Um, I never thought about it before. So thank you very much for enlightening me for that. Now, last but not least, life. Because we've talked about sports, we've talked about business. Let's talk a little bit about life, and then I'd love to know. We're going to tell everybody where they can find you. Because in today's day and age of Zoom, uh, there's no need to worry that you are in the state of Oregon, I believe, correct? Yep. And uh, we're in Ontario. With the age of Zoom, you could have a counselor counseling your kids in South Africa, and you could have your psychologist living in Japan. So this is fantastic. So we're going to ask people, we're going to ask you to tell people where we can find you. Um, but let's talk about life. Because we're not talking about necessarily being a leader in life of people, but you got to lead yourself as well, correct? Absolutely. And, and what's the, in your role as a leadership educator, how do we lead in life? I know it sounds like a very broad question, but it might not be about me leading my child, my son, or working as a leader with my wife in our household, but how do we lead ourselves? And what, what are some, what are some key things that we can learn from you? When I talk with folks about life leadership, I usually start with their personal values and what they actually are. I think this is a, again, a space for assumed consensus. Like, Oh yeah, I value honesty and I value hard work and I value blah, blah, blah. You know, like these sort of tropes of what's, you know, whatever. But I think when we get down to, or if people say they value family, I think it's always interesting. I'm like, well, what about family do you value? Like, what does that actually mean? You know, the getting into what we value is, I think, crucial for leading your life, because then we can align our energy with and our actions and our time with how to do that better, you know, how to get those values out there, how to be leaders, if we're leading in our own life in alignment with our own values, we're much happier, we're much more effective in anything we do, you know, that frees up our energy. The opposite is a sense of discord. If I say I value honesty, but I'm really okay with a lot of white lies, like, am I really valuing honesty? Am I not? Like, how does this work? And the discord that is created is time energy consuming for me as a person. And so maybe I just don't need to say I value honesty anymore. Like maybe that's actually where I need to be and be like, you know, what I actually value is integrity more than honesty and like being true, like, great, perfect. But without articulating that for yourself in a way that's meaningful and actually true and actually <laughs> honest for you as a person, I think we often sort of float around. We don't feel like we have good traction with things. We don't feel like we're moving forward sometimes because we're not in touch with what our values actually are. So I help people do that a little bit of tangible values, articulation, and not like I have a hundred, like maybe you have three, maybe you have a couple, maybe three or four that are the ones that actually, if you look at your calendar, they're present. Or if you, you know, play a video of your mind of your day, you're like, oh yeah, that was, I said that because I value this thing, or I did this because of my values. And like, oh yeah, I made these choices because of these values. So the, to me, values are how you communicate, how you act, how you spend your time, how you make your decisions. So I help people clarify those sometimes. And then really, there are these skills that I think are crucial. Validation, we talked about that a little bit. It's a life skill to be able to make someone feel heard and yet disagree with them in a way that you're present, you're respectful, you're there with them. Great. I think there's understanding how you communicate helps a ton. 
And people will say, there's sort of these classic communication styles from like aggressive to assertive to passive aggressive to just passive is sort of this classic spectrum of leadership styles a little bit. And I think folks that are like knowing where you are helps and knowing where that style is effective and where not effective. Great. Do you want to learn a different style? Also great. Cool. We can help you with that. And I think the other thing people really avoid or shy away from, or get stressed about is conflict and conflict is constant in our world people. And we avoid it. You know, there's some classic avoiders out there that are, you know, just going to keep their head down and not say a peep and that's great. And okay live your life. That's fine. But your conflict is still going to creep in or that thing is going to make you uncomfortable or someone's going to do something or say something. You're like, Oh, I don't agree. Well, then what, what are you going to do in that situation? How are you going to deal with that? That need to, yeah, that discomfort fundamentally or disagreement, or, you know, they can be from big to small things. And so that's where it's really tangible skills come in. Like, how am I going to deal with conflict? How am I going to give someone feedback? you know, anywhere in my world. And we think of feedback as this kind of formal businessy, like, oh, I need to give feedback to my employee, blah, 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 like, great. And like constantly you're giving feedback, whether you think of it that way or not to everyone around you in terms of how you communicate with them, how you interact with them. So maybe some skills around that are, would be useful or valuable or ways to do that to shape the behavior around you in ways that are going to move everyone forward together, whether it's within your family group, your club, your community, your, you know, anything within your life. We are social. So we interact with people. So finding ways to work with people better, regardless of our perceived role or our hierarchical vision for how we interact with these people is, are only going to make your life better and make you a better leader in your own life. Wow. All I'm going to say is, wow, that was brilliant. Like, it made me kind of think that I know that my son has certain buttons. My leadership example that I should set to my son is not necessarily how I should set it to my nephew, who's eight years older than my son and lives with us. And they both react differently to different leadership stimuli. Whereas my son, if I raise my voice to my son, I know that he shuts down, he stares at the wall across the room, and he stopped listening the second my, I raise my voice. Whereas I know my nephew, we have a different dynamic, and I can just say, hey, butthead, Take the effing garbage out. Yes, sir. No problem. <laughs> right? Different Where, people. Whereas my son, from a, from a leadership perspective, he listens to words. He doesn't listen to, he doesn't listen to commands. Mm -hmm. or, tone. Sorry. The tone is very important to him. Oh, well, that my wife will tell you. I hope she's going to listen to this episode, but she will tell you my tone is not always um, on par with where it should be. We all, that's a for all of us, but yeah. Well, but you, yes, but but you when, can see this example tangibly with your son. This is fascinating. Yes. And with him, I don't need to quote unquote pussyfoot around when I'm trying to say something to him, but I know exactly um, the notes I need to use in my voice. If I was to compare it to music, um, mm -hmm. there are no long, you know, Four no, they're like, you know, there's no long notes. They're very small and short and to the point. You're not going to hit the gong with him. No, no, <laughs> I'm not. There's no cymbals. There's no bass drums. There's no timpani. It's clarinets and flutes. And, mm -hmm. and I understand that I'm going to have to repeat those notes a hundred times until it finally gets in. And, I, and I'm okay with that. And I've learned that. And I'm still not perfect on it. Uh, although I know with my nephew, 
I say it once, I tell, actually, I'll, you know what, I'll say it this way, and I know it might sound a bit harsh, but with my nephew, I will tell him once, and I know that he will respect it, and he will move it, and he will institute those changes. Um, although, if we're having a, a discussion about a certain thing, topic, philosophical, whatever, he's always willing to have those debates. He's actually on his way to law school. So <laughs> anyway, enough about, about this side of it. Where can well, we find... I just want to add one thing, though. Sure, please. I think sometime you should... Do you ever talk about that tone communication style with your son and your nephew? Have you ever had conversations be like, hey, I've noticed this? No, he, I, no, I haven't, actually. Maybe it might be an idea. And I think it's it's just this fascinating way of making the unspoken spoken and sometimes giving words to things people are like, Oh yeah. And so maybe your son next time is like, dad, dial down the timpani. I'm just here for the flute. And you're like, Oh yeah, right. I'm, you know, moving this way, you know, and it, it can become a very beautiful feedback loop. Right. And, and we're not all perfect and we're just going to come off weird and hit, you know, it's not everything's this beautiful communication flow and everything, but it might be a fascinating conversation to have with him. Actually, for sure. And one of the things as a leader that I've learned is that a good leader admits when they're wrong and apologizes and moves, oh, so on, crucial. moves on from it, expects that the followership skills that the person has, has that, that accommodation of saying, I accept your apology, let's move on. Let's forgive and forget. And with my son, I guess, from a leadership perspective, he is a natural leader. And we've tried to say to him, Stop telling your buddies on the Xbox that they're idiots. You're a leader. A leader. Um, you know, it sounds so cliche, but you're a leader. Act like one. <laughs> well, and to me, that just means, hey, I think you're not meeting the goals you want when you tell your buddies that they're idiots. What do you actually want to have happen here? And how have you seen people get that goal in a different way? Because how you're doing it is not working, buddy. You know, and sometimes it takes holding up that mirror. I'm just, yeah. Now I want to like... A, like to hear in a couple of weeks, like all these conversations you've had with your son and what happened, but. I am totally going to send you an email. Oh, I can't wait. To tell you about what my son and I talked about during that conversation, for sure. Yeah. And when you have those conversations, the more questions you ask, the more rich and deep those conversations are going to be and valuable, interesting. I think you're going to get a lot and he'll get a lot out of it too. I think it's going to be super educational for both of you. Good luck. Yeah. Well, thank you because I think it's all about, it's all about tone. It's all about message. It's all about having my own visions as a leader of myself. How do I lead myself and how do I lead others? In my family, I am by no means the leader of this household, and my wife will tell you that. I hope you're a good teammate then. Yes. I hope you your followership what? skills are amazing. I could all, yes. I, I, I'm going to go up to my wife right now. She's upstairs, and I'm going to say, how do I improve my followership skills? And she'll just eat that up, and she'll be like, because she's a leader in her business. Or her company, right. and she'll just be like, "Well, first of all, take the garbage out, then go cut the grass, <laughs> and then do do this." And I'll be like, "No, hold on a second. I want to be a follower and have good followership skills." So that's not what I mean. Not bossy, bossy, but anyway, I digress. Well, this is the good question, <laughs> though: is what values should I have? Should I prioritize as a follower in this team? Mm. Like, is it fundamentally going to come down to your values and shared vision, shared goals? And taking out the garbage obviously is a thing, but is the goal cleanliness is the goal you know like whatever it is like who knows yeah I mean, I you're think, gonna have some rich conversations oh for sure and i think that um she's taken several leadership courses um we've discussed this as being leaders 
in our house? Uh, and how do we lead by example? Or do we lead by do as I say, not as I do? Or how does it work? Or do we delegate, etc.? Um, but I think what it comes down to for us is it's all about tone. And it's all about being a good team overall. And I think that's one of the methods, or sorry, one of the messages that we carried throughout this entire episode, which was almost to be a good leader, you need to be on a good team. And they are kind of connected to each other. And I think you've done a great job throughout your career of, of understanding and explaining that. And so that brings up my next question is where can we find you online? Because you have so much value and vision inside your head that needs to be put out to the world. So where can we find you and, 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 you know, what can we do to get more people in contact with Iggy Perilla? Uh, the easiest, the hub of my presence in the virtual world is at wslleadership.com. And there you can find my podcast, which is more of a hobby podcast, but I think it's fun. Oh my God, I, I also, totally forgot about that. Hold on, I stop, was... time out, time out, <laughs> okay. time out. Let's talk, about, <laughs> let's talk about your podcast. Okay, first and foremost, is it called the WSL Leadership P Podcast? It's called Books Applied. Oh, okay, Books Applied. And it is really about books I've read and how to apply them. And there's guests that come on. Before we leave, so is there any, we will talk if we, not right now, at some point, about what books you've read that have had a big impact on how you do live your life, because these are the books I want to read. Like mindset was one of the oh, books okay. in the episode. I mentioned that from Carol Dweck, other things that are in the field of how we think, how we operate, how we lead and from various different perspectives. So that's my podcast. I also have a newsletter that comes out monthly so that it's all original content and a couple amplifying a couple voices that I think need to be amplified. And my last newsletter, which people can find the article. So I write articles because it's a fancy way to say blog and make yourself feel good about yourself. But those are on the website too. My last one was about the power of powerful followership was the last one I wrote. And so that's out there in the world. You can get that via the website. Uh, I do workshops. I have a workshop called Leadership Skills for Everyday Life Masterclass. And we've talked about some of these in this lesson already, personal values, validation, problem-solving skills. And there's a couple other that I package into a five-week workshop that is people really enjoy and like and get a lot of value out of. And the main, the thing for leaders that are like, well, cool, there's this thing, there's another agenda, I can read books, I can do whatever, I can listen. But I want what's, what I need specifically is maybe a little different. I cultivate leadership masterminds. So that's bringing together leaders from different spaces, spaces, different facets, and having them in this mastermind format, each everyone person has some time to drive the agenda and get their specific needs met. And it's been a space that's been really good for leadership development. Uh, and also transforming your leadership outcomes. If you want to get away from some of these hierarchical ideas of what leadership looks like, a mastermind is a great way to have like minds support you and hold you accountable for making really meaningful, deep changes. So that is uh, the things I'm cultivating and working on now. And I host a lunch like every second Tuesdays, Pacific time from 12 to one. It's not going to be that time in your time zone, but I just bring together heart centered leaders who want to celebrate and rejuvenate and have a fun weird structured not super weird but a fun structured time together to yeah connect and celebrate and rejuvenate so that's the leadership lunch leadership uh, ecosystem lunch yeah you know you gotta add a word to be fancy and stand out leadership eco well you gotta show up on your seo right so <laughs> i guess i think that's gonna send me to the the wrong seo completely to be an ecosystem but that's okay lunch i'm 
pulling the lunch crowd. Well, that's really a bunch of people who have searched for it and they'll be like, I was here to save the to save the tadpoles. What what is this yeah. about? Well, exactly. Do you want to lead tadpoles or do you want to be following tadpoles? Come on. That's um, really what we're gonna talk about maybe next time. <laughs> that's a yeah, once a month, uh, just fun way <laughs> to connect with people and build gonna, some fun connections across a lot of different sectors. I'm three hours ahead of you, so your leadership lunch would be about my coffee break. So perfect. Yeah. Come maybe on I'll, over. Maybe I'll jump on a Zoom. Is it on Zoom or is it done yes, through another? Yeah, and this is, you spoke to this, the beauty of Zoom globally connecting mm -hmm. people. I've had masterminds with people in Australia. So I'm like, okay, it's Friday, whatever, Saturday. I'm like, JK, it's Sunday for you. You know, like yep. to even talk about a different day for the same thing happening is a little yep. mind expanding in cool ways. But all that's, <laughs> if you go to the website, there's masterminds, workshops, everything is like housed there under the different little spaces. I just subscribed to it. The podcast is called Book Supplied Podcast. Uh, looks like we've got um, about seven episodes to listen to. Yeah, there's more actually on the website too. Out in the, the I'm dripping them out to the public, so I'm not as savvy as you to record so regularly. But if you go to my website, you can find the archive, which is maybe like ten episodes. It's not a million more, but there are a few more there. I'll tell you right now, the first one I'm listening to is uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick. Oh yeah. A fascinating yeah. book. Fascinating book. The other two hosts of the show, or sorry, two of the other hosts of the show, Carl and Gareth, are huge fans of Jocko Wilnick. And I actually had the pleasure of seeing him uh, do a speaking engagement. So, first I also episode, do a second, I'm the follow up book, though, The Dichotomy of Leadership, is even better than Extreme Ownership. He does a little a good job of refining and making it not quite so uh, militaristic, I would say. Extreme okay. ownership comes off as a little military and then dichotomy of leadership is like, wait, here's some more nuance. I thought it was great. I think I have an episode on that somewhere in there too. That will be on my listening list on my way to work on Monday. The website, listening. The website is WSLleadership.com, which stands for WorkSport Life. You can find Iggy on Instagram at WSLleadership on Pinterest. This is a first for a guest I've had on We As uh, on Pinterest as well at, at WSL Leadership. And Pinterest is a resource library, not pictures of food, in case you're wondering. Yes. It's links to articles and things I've read or videos or, you know, things like that. So it's, don't go yep. there looking for pictures of leaders. Go there looking to read leaders' thoughts. It's not about finding the perfect couch and seeing a picture <laughs> of it. It's about the links to that. Uh, also... WSL Leadership on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Iggy, thank you so much for being on the show. I had a great time. So I could literally talk to you for hours. Like I, <laughs> I wish think we have, and let's do more. That's It's been so fun. I want, okay, so A, I want you back for part two, and we'll we'll devise a method of, of or what we're going to talk about, values and visions, and we're going to have a common goal for that episode. Um, if you're ever in the Toronto area, and I said Toronto, like other people hear it, but if you're ever in the Tirana area, <laughs> is that, is it, I need to know how to say it right. That's the same one. Tirana. Don't, right? don't pronounce the second T. It's not Toronto. It's Toronto. Toronto. Okay. Check. And I'm I actually getting... live about 30 minutes east of Toronto. So you get to drive through the whole city. Uh, but if you're ever in the Toronto area, I'd love you. have love to have you over for a glass of wine in my kitchen and meet my wife. And, mm. and I would love to have a great we as conversation about this. This would be incredible. So, oh, I've, that makes me want to go right now, but not quite right now. Soon. Let's Soon. get the border open first and then we'll be good. Yeah, good step <laughs> in the right direction.
Uh, again, I want to thank my guest, Iggy Perillo, for being on the show. Uh, please, I'll have everything in the show notes as far as the websites, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn. Um, please be the best possible version of yourself. Uh, and we always talk about being the pebble. This is a lot to do with leadership. You throw that pebble into the pond and those ripples, and it's all about leadership. Check out our website at www.weas.ca. Have yourself a wonderful day. We're out for now. <laughs>